Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas all rolled into one. The inaugural message, the first in the series this morning. But rather than looking into the gospel record concerning Jesus, the Messiah, we are going to be looking into the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7. Pull out your note outlines with me this morning. Pull out a pencil or pen as well. What we'd like to do is uh, we're going to, I'm going to read the passage uh, directly from the note outline, and I'd like you to interact with the text as I give you instructions. Isaiah 7, when Ahaz, grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, the king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem but they could not overpower it. Now Ahaz was told, Syria has formed an alliance with the ten tribes of Israel to the north. Underline this phrase, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, now watch this, you circle the phrase, your son. You and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet King Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool. Would you please circle the phrase, upper pool? You're thinking to yourself, what? On the road to the washerman's field, would you circle washerman's field, please? Say to him, the king, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Because of these two, underline the phrase, smoldering stubs of firewood. These enemies of yours have plotted your ruin, King Rezin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let's tear it apart, divide it among ourselves. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Double underline, Sovereign Lord. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Syria is only a mere man. Within 65 years, Ephraim, referring to the ten tribes of the north, will will be too shattered to be a people. Underline verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. By the way, great memory verse for you. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Great verse. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz, Ahaz said, piously, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Man, you're probably thinking to yourself, Wow, what an odd passage. And at Christmas time, no less, what in the world is going on and why would you select that? It has nothing whatsoever to do with Christmas. I beg to differ. And by the end of this message, you'll see why. If I could have the next screen, please. What is it that you're afraid of? 
Get out your cell phones. This is my cell number. What is it that you are fearing? And, and don't answer by saying spiders, heights, the dark. It's not what I'm looking for. Circumstantially, what, what issues in your life, what currently right now would be on your worry list? What is it that you're fearful of as we step into Christmas? Let me pull out my cell phone here. Text me right now. Here's the first one. I fear for my marriage. Interesting. Here's another. Right now I fear losing a loved one. I fear my children's salvation. I fear losing loved ones. I fear losing my son to the world. Somebody from Elkhart just called me, so I think rather than texting, they tried to call me. Uh, I fear this, my child's salvation. Right now I'm fearing walking with my aging parents. I fear that I'm losing my wife. I fear for my child's salvation. I fear that I'm not being a good testimony to my family. I fear hurt feelings. Man. I fear socialists taking control of our government. I fear aging. I fear failure. I fear that my cancer will return. I fear rejection. I fear for my kids' safety. Wow. A lot of us are dealing with stuff, aren't we, this Christmas? So is it any wonder that this inaugural message when I am afraid to remember that God is with us. Let me give you just a little bit of the historical setting, not to disappoint you because you know that's the direction I'll probably be going. If I could have the next screen, please. First of all, just to give you a little summary of what's taking place, Ahaz, the king of Judah, remember we've got two, the, the nation is now divided in half. Ten tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel, ten tribes to the north are called Israel, Two tribes to the south are called Judah. It's Judah and Benjamin, but because Judah is the larger tribe, it's called Judah. The king of Judah, which Jerusalem is the capital, was being attacked by two powerful enemies. Who are those? Well, one would be Syria, and the other was the northern tribe, their own brothers, the ten tribes of Israel to the north. I can have the next screen, please. What we have here is a pretty good map. This shows you... Here is Judah. The tribe of Benjamin would be right here. This is the central Benjamin Plateau. Benjamin includes Jerusalem. Very, very small tribe, very, very small area, the size of Elkhart County right there. By the way, 60% of all biblical events with a name occurred in an area the size of Elkhart County. Let me say that again. 60% of 
all biblical events happened in the, the central Benjamin Plateau, an area the size of Elkhart County. It's rather remarkable. So two tribes to the south, ten tribes to the north, Ahaz, Jezebel, remember those guys? With Samaria as its capital. And so what we've got here, this is this area right here is being invade, is invading Jerusalem along with the green Damascus. It's still there. It's the capital of Syria today. And so this is the kingdom of the Ammonites, Ammon. Amman is the capital right now of Jordan. So, and this is the area of Ruth down here by the Dead Sea, the Moabites down here. So, the blue and the green create this coalition and they are now attacking Jerusalem. That's what's taking place, just to give you a little bit of a sense. Next screen, please. Ahaz and his people were completely overwhelmed with fear. If you look at the first thing I had you underline, it says the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. Now watch this simile. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Wow. Leaves, all they do, they're, they're, they're just, they just hang there. But they are influenced by external forces to cause them to shake. And basically what the, the, the biblical writer is telling us, the narrator, is as leaves are shaken by the wind, external issues, that was what was happening in the hearts of Ahaz and his people. Next screen, please. However, the Lord was fully aware of this situation, and what he's going to do, he's going to send Isaiah, the prophet, to the king, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Judah, Rezin. He's going to send, or Ahaz, rather. He's going to send the message of hope. Now, what I want you to do is look at verse 3, and it'll make all kinds of sense. Notice it says, in verse 2, their hearts were shaken as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then look at verse 3. Circle the word, then. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, in the midst of the time of fear, when their hearts were shaken like trees, like leaves shaken before the wind, at a time of great turbulence, un, un, uncertainty, then the Lord sent a prophet. God is fully aware of what you're going through. My cell phone contains, here's more that have come in. I fear for my children's safety. I fear for our government. I fear the pain of loss. Dozens of text messages. God is fully aware. Part of the message of hope this morning is that the Lord is fully aware of what your fears are. He's fully aware of what you're facing. Biblical teaching, let's shift gears for a moment. I find this intriguing. Don't miss the details. I had you circle three different phrases. First issue, when God says to Isaiah, this is the first thing he says to Isaiah, take your son, Shear Jashub, and meet King Ahaz to give the king a word from God. Let me ask you a question. 
why is he supposed to take his little boy? Incidentally, if you look at the rest of the text, the boy never does anything, the boy never speaks. But for some reason, the presence of this little boy is important to the prophecy. And you'll see why in a moment. Secondly, Isaiah was told to stand at a specific location. Don't miss this. Things happen where they happen biblically for a reason. God is into object lessons. They happen, and those of you who went with us to Israel understand this, they happen where they do for a reason. Isaiah was not only told to take his son, he is told, go to a particular intersection to meet the king. This is just not necessarily a geographic location. It is a a symbolic place to deliver this prophecy. Watch. Go to the place, next screen, of the upper pool. Now, one of the interesting things about biblical languages is this. Greek is the most precise language that was ever invented. We'll talk about this in another few weeks. But there's reasons that Jesus was born when he was, because that one of the reasons is that the language of Greek was uh, all over the world at that point. Perfect time for the New Testament to be written. Be thankful that the original documents were not written in English. English is not a precise language. I love pizza. I love Judy. I love playing on my iPad. Those are different loves. Greeks, we have at least four to five different words for love. See? Greek is very precise. However, Hebrew is not precise. The Hebrew language on a canvas is a glob of color. It can mean a number of things. As a matter of fact, it can, it can actually be translated to mean opposites, which makes the Hebrew language not only intriguing, it makes translation and interpretation challenging. So when he says, go to the place of the upper pool, the word pool can also be translated blessing. Now in a starched uh, or a, a parched land where there is little water, you can understand how the word, word pool and blessing would be the same. However, using the adjective upper, that can also be translated most high. And so this place that he's told to go, the one of the one of the places of intersection where he's told to stand to deliver the prophecy, you've got the blessing from the Most High is how it can be translated. Secondly, look at the next phrase, the washerman's field. If you look in your Bible, it might say fuller's field. The word fuller is a person who does laundry, the fuller brush salesman. Yours might say launderer's field in your Bible. The washerman's field. What does that mean? Well, it can be translated, this is the place, obviously, of cleansing the place of forgiveness. So Isaiah is told, when you deliver this message of hope, go to the place where there will be the blessing of the Most High and of place of moral forgiveness. 
Notice what I've done with my arms. And take your young son with you. Deliver this message to King Ahaz. Interesting. Number three. This is the message. God reminds King Ahaz that the presenting challenge, the invasion from Syria and Israel, it was temporary. If you go back to your text that you interacted with, you're going to see in verse 4, do not lose heart because of these two, what? Smoldering stubs. What's the point? Smoldering stubs, they're not going to last. They're going to burn out. The message is Ahaz, this issue that you're facing, even though it feels overwhelming and is super scary, and by the way, so are yours. Those that you texted to me, I am not minimizing those, but the Lord's words of hope for you this morning is to say to you, this too shall pass. It's temporary. I know it looks and it feels larger than life. However, what you need to do, Ahaz, is trust God by faith for the ultimate outcome. Notice he used this, this phrase that I mentioned to you. Verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Kind of an interesting, clever way of saying it. And by the way, the translators did that on purpose because in the original language in Hebrew, it's a play on words. They tried to attempt that in the translation. In English, we might say, if there is no belief, you will find no relief. If there is no belief, you will find no relief. It's a play on words, and it is in the original language. Basically what he's saying is, you have got to trust in a sovereign God. God knows what's going on. He is aware of what you are facing. He is, he is fully aware of that. And he is dispatching words of hope to you this morning. Now, what becomes the practical application for us today? Watch this. Number one, I think what I can pull from this is whenever you need hope, God is not only aware of my circumstances, but he will always send to me a messenger with his words. I, last night, I just was just processing some stuff and walking through just a little bit of discouragement. It just kind of blew last night. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, pardon the pun, I get a text message from a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine up in Michigan who says, you've been on my heart. Are you doing okay? I'm praying for you right now. And I looked to Judy and I said, listen to this. I want you to listen to what I just got. God is saying, Joel, I am fully aware that you're discouraged of what you're facing. 
and I'm going to send a messenger to you with words of hope. I'm thinking, boy, isn't that coincidental? That right then I get this text message from a buddy. And for some people this morning who are a little blue or a little discouraged or feeling somewhat overwhelmed stepping into this season, God has sent a messenger to you with words of hope. And God is saying to you, I've got this thing. I know what's going on. Trust me by faith. Come, you can do this. I know it feels overwhelming, but it's, t- it's temporary. You're going to be all right. You're going to get through this. You've got to trust me, though. Number two, I think the second takeaway from this passage for me is I've got to recognize I'm not fighting against flesh and blood. I have an enemy just as Ahaz did who was committed to my destruction. Judy and I were talking about this on the way to church this morning. One of the nice things of having a 40-minute drive is that there's, you, get, you have process time, especially when Judy's with me because I can process with her. And I said, you know what? I, 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 what I'm sensing is here we have preached what eight, eight out of nine or nine out of ten uh, Sundays in a row. I said, I think the enemy is doubling down. I, I'm, I'm trying to send. I'm not a guy who looks for a spook under every rock, but I'm just saying, I recognize that I have an enemy, and then I, furthermore, I need to pray and trust God's sovereign control. And so do you. See? And finally, what is this way of cleansing? This location where the way of cleansing meets the blessings of the Most High. What would that represent? Well, why was Isaiah told to take his son? I think the implic- I think what, I, what the prophet is saying to King Ahaz is this. This is temporary. What you're facing, I, I, I've got this thing. But the hope I want to give you is that there is coming a future blessing who will be a son and who will be one who will cleanse and forgive you. And that has eternal implications. And what you need to do, Ahaz, is trust me by faith because I am sending one who will be Messiah. And that leads us to number three. The ultimate hope is in the promise of Messiah. Now you understand the prophecy. Now you understand why he was to take his son. Now you know why it was at that particular intersection where he delivered the message. Because what it is... Our ultimate hope is in the promised Messiah, the one who is the blessing of the Most High and who cleanses us from sin. And there are people in the room right now scratching their heads saying, you know what, Pastor Joel, I think you're reaching on this thing. I mean, I think you're kind of reading into this a little bit to make it fit into a Christmas story. And I can appreciate that, and I feel the same way. But there's something that you don't know. Turn your page back over again. Look at the text side. What does it say? It says Isaiah 7, 1 through 14, doesn't it? Look at the bottom of that sheet. What verse did I finish on? Verse 13. That was not a typographical error. I purposely left verse 14 out. You want to know why? 
This is verse 14. Beloved, this is verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself, Ahaz, will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Beloved, that's the hope we have this Christmas. It's an eternal hope this Christmas. You've seen this on Christmas cards. It's the whole, it's the whole theme of our Christmas series, God with us. That's the reason I chose this text. You've heard this verse, you just never understood the context in which it was given. It was given to a man discouraged who had lost hope, who was up against insurmountable odds and goes, I don't know what to do. And God says, I'm going to send to you words of hope through my messenger. And he's going to do it in such a way with his little boy and at this place of forgiveness and of blessing because I'm sending you a message. Don't get caught up in today's issue. Have an eternal perspective, Ahaz. And that's what this messenger has to say to you this morning, beloved. I know you're facing some tough stuff. Judy and I are too. We're in a place of crossroads. We're in places of uncertainty. But ultimately, I can't get become consumed with the here and now. I've got to trust in the ultimate Messiah. And now you understand why that last verse printed on your bulletin makes so much sense. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now, what? They're temporary. But the things we cannot see are what? 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 is the New Testament version of this message in a nutshell. And you know, want to know something? God sent me this morning to remind you. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Father, how we need hope. We need hope for our nation. We need hope for our hearts. We need hope regarding our kids. Hope regarding our grandchildren, regarding our health, our finances, our jobs. We feel terribly out of control, which is good because we are. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would redeem us with the, not just the promise of hope, but with the person of hope. Emmanuel, God with us. And beloved, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to give you opportunity this morning to say, you want to know something? 
I'm going to choose again to believe that God's in charge and he's got this. And if you'd like to pray with Judy and me here at the front, I'm going to ask everybody, let's stand to our feet right now. Stand to your feet, and I'm going to ask you to come and to pray and say, you know what? I just want to pray. At the beginning of the Advent season, we're going to come and pray. And Judy, I'm going to ask you to come and join me. I want you to come right now. We're just going to pray here at the front, whatever it is. You've texted me dozens of things this morning. We're going to just pray. We're going to pray together as moms and dads, as grandmas and grandpas. What is the issue is that you're dealing with, that you're facing? We're just going to pray here at the front. Pastor Earl, would you lead us in prayer, please? If you'd like to come, now's your opportunity. And if you're going to stay where you're at, will you uh, lift your inner voice in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you send uh, messengers of hope. Sometimes that comes in a still, small voice and uh, in the deepest part of our being, and we know that we're hearing the voice of our Father. Sometimes that, uh, that voice of hope is a brother or a sister in Christ who, uh, who would sit across the table from us and would speak truth into our lives. Sometimes that hope even comes in, uh, in, in voices that we would never expect, and yet we know that in all ways, Father, you are aware of our fear you know what wind, what external conditions have caused it. And you stand with us. So, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who have come, not knowing exactly what their fears are, but knowing who you are. And, Lord, we ask that you would plant their feet firmly on the rock. Lord, we pray that you would give them ears to hear your hope. We pray that they would experience the truth of God with us, Emmanuel. Not some big guy upstairs, not, uh, not merely a baby in the manger or a man on a cross, but the abiding Holy Spirit, your presence alive in them and with them, reminding them that whatever they face, you're sovereign. There's nothing that comes into their lives that hasn't first gone through you. That whether they're being tested and tried or, or, or whatever's happening, that they have a Heavenly Father who loves them and whose greatest goal is to call them a child of God. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this season when we're reminded through the incarnation of your only son that you don't stay in the, in the distant by and by, that you come and dwell among us so that you can be with us and be our God and we can be your people. Lord, may that drive out all fear and your perfect love. We pray this in Jesus' name. to ask if we could bless one another before we are dismissed today. And as these folks are finishing praying and returning their seats, let me say, if you're staying for the meal and or the meeting, uh, just move down to the gym and we're done here. First one down gets to go through the line first. Uh, we'll consider ourselves prayed up and ready to eat. After everyone's had a chance to get some food and enjoy a meal and conversation, 
uh, we'll convene the meeting and, and uh, move forward from there. May you have ears to hear the messengers of hope that your heavenly Father sends you. May you fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with God's grace.